Friday, March the 11th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Russia closes in on Kyiv and talks fail again. First, the world in brief. Russian forces have moved three miles closer to Kyiv over the past day or so, according to the Pentagon. They are now just nine miles from the centre of Ukraine's capital. Satellite images suggest that the huge column of tanks that had ground to a halt on the approach to the city has begun to disperse around the surrounding towns. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said 100,000 people had now escaped via, quote, humanitarian corridors from besieged towns. But he said the Russians had launched a deliberate tank assault on one in Mariupol. The Red Cross warned that food and water in that city were running, quote, dangerously low. Talks between Sergei Lavrov and Dmitry Kuleba, respectively the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine, ended without agreement. The negotiations, which took place in Turkey, were the highest level discussions yet between the two sides. Mr Lavrov did not budge from the Kremlin's line that the invasion is going to plan, and that its operation is being done in the name of self-defence. Mr Kuleba said his counterpart had refused his request for a humanitarian ceasefire. Stock markets in Europe and America fell on Thursday, reversing some of the gains made the day before. Wall Street was spooked not only by the continuing war, but also by high inflation figures. Oil prices fell for a second day, a barrel of Brent crude dropping to $108. The IMF, meanwhile, said it has closed its office in Russia. And Goldman Sachs, an American bank, said it would cease doing business in Russia. It is the first big Wall Street bank to leave the country. Russia said it would ban exports of agricultural, electrical, medical and technological equipment until the end of the year. It said its decision, which applies to more than 200 items, was a retaliation against Western sanctions. Meanwhile, Egypt banned the export of wheat and several other food products. Egypt is the world's biggest importer of wheat, much of which is produced in Russia and Ukraine. Higher prices and shortages could cause hunger across the Middle East and Africa. The World Bank warned that could fuel social unrest. The UN granted Russia's request for an emergency meeting to discuss the Kremlin's claim that America is funding the development of biological weapons in Ukraine. America has dismissed the allegations as, quote, laughable. Meanwhile, Ukraine accused Russia of, quote, nuclear terrorism, after a facility in Kharkiv lost power during shelling on Thursday night. IAEA, the international nuclear watchdog, said it has, quote, scheduled physical inspections of Ukrainian nuclear sites. Britain said it would make it easier for Ukrainian refugees to enter the country, following outrage over its lacklustre policy. If they have a passport, they will no longer need to visit a visa centre abroad. Earlier, the government imposed sanctions on Roman Abramovich, a Russian oligarch and owner of Chelsea Football Club, freezing all his assets. It said he would now need a licence to sell Chelsea and would not be able to profit from the sale. Sanctions were also imposed on six other Russian businessmen, including the bosses of Rosneft and Gazprom, two Russian energy companies. 
Other news. Inflation in America rose to 7.9% in February. It is expected to rise further, driven by higher fuel prices. America's Senate passed a $1.5 trillion spending bill that includes around $14 billion of aid for Ukraine. It now goes to President Joe Biden to sign. The European Central Bank said it would wind down its monetary stimulus more quickly than planned. It is concerned that war in Ukraine will push up prices. The Bhatia Janata Party, India's ruling party, won elections in Uttar Pradesh and three other states. And fact of the day. 1,000. Roughly the number of pieces of Russian equipment destroyed, damaged, abandoned or captured by Ukraine over two weeks of war. And now here's today's agenda. Behind enemy lines in Ukraine. Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, told his country that Ukraine's drug-addled neo-Nazi elite had perpetrated genocide and that the country needed saving. If his troops were thereby expecting a warm welcome in Ukrainian territory, they were mistaken. Russian soldiers are greeted with contempt. In Konotov, a town in northeastern Ukraine, a local woman was filmed warning a Russian tank driver about the town's association with the occult. Quote, Every second woman is a witch here, she told him. Tomorrow you won't be able to get your dick to stand up. She was not alone in her defiance. Elsewhere, Ukrainians have stood in front of tanks. One protester admits that they are nervous about opposing Russian soldiers, but even more fearful of the repression and poverty Mr Putin has imposed on Donetsk and Luhansk, two regions controlled by Russia since 2014. The risks are stark. If the invaders can't win hearts and minds, they may resort to further violence. Ukraine's DIY DARPA The day after Russia invaded, Pravda, a microbrewery in Lviv, a city in western Ukraine, switched from brewing beer to mixing Molotov cocktails. Equipment previously used for award-winning brews now blends machine oil, petrol, aluminium powder, and polystyrene dissolved in solvent. The concoction burns like crazy, all the better to disable any Russian military vehicle it is hurled at. Elsewhere, Ukrainians are making barricades and fearsome grenade launchers. They are also modifying their own Russian-made weapons to be more useful against the invaders. Ukraine has many engineers and computer programmers who are used to getting things done with limited resources. The oppressive bureaucracy of Soviet rule pushed people to find workarounds, creating an entrepreneurial spunk that is now very helpful. Vladimir Yatsenko, a Ukrainian film producer who is in Kyiv to fight, describes this as, quote, our national DARPA, a reference to the famous American military research agency. War is a dirty business, but necessity is the mother of invention. A leftist inaugurated in Chile. On Friday, Gabriel Boric will become Chile's youngest ever president. His government, which includes the Communist Party, will be the most left-leaning since the country's return to democracy in 1990. 
but he is considered a moderate among the wave of leftist leaders recently elected in Latin America. Mr. Boric wants universal public health care and bigger public pensions. He also plans to forgive student debt. To pay for these policies, he proposes that taxes rise by 5% of GDP in four years. His team also wants to create a state lithium firm and a national development bank. The fate of those policies partly depends on two forces. First, Chile's Congress. Mr Boric lacks a majority, but will need lawmakers' support to pass reforms. Second, a new constitution is being drafted. The convention in charge has a big far-left element. If approved, the revised constitution will set the tone in Chilean politics for years to come. Mr Boric will have to wait and see what he gets. Two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. The first cases of the novel coronavirus were revealed by China at the end of December 2019, and two years ago on Friday, the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. Since then, about 6 million people are known to have died of COVID-19. Modelling by The Economist suggests the true number of deaths is closer to 20 million. According to the International Monetary Fund, the economic losses are expected to be almost $13.8 trillion by the end of 2023, relative to pre-pandemic forecasts. There have been valid complaints about the inequity of vaccine distribution, but the scientific response to the pandemic has been without precedent. Vaccines have never been developed so fast, and more than 11 billion doses were manufactured in 2021. There is now an array of drugs to fight COVID. Although it seems possible that the world is moving into the final phases of the pandemic, dangerous new mutations could still emerge. The Grim Significance of a Shakespearean War Play When it chose to stage Henry V, the Donmar Warehouse in London doubtless had Brexit, the rise of English nationalism and the future of Britain in mind. After all, the play is about a standoff between England and a European neighbour, during which the English soldiers spend more time bickering with their Welsh, Scottish and Irish comrades than fighting the French. Now, halfway through its run, it is another of Shakespeare's themes, the barbarity of war, that resonates loudly and tragically. There is a lot of timely, scathing wisdom in the production, and even more in the play. Directed by Max Webster, it stars Kit Harington, of Game of Thrones fame, as a media-savvy king whose cruelty and cynicism are grimly familiar. His threats and mendacity echo Kremlin doublespeak. War can be glorious, Shakespeare knew, and absurd. In the lulls between action, it can even be jittery and tedious. But this kind of war, waged dishonestly from territory and self-aggrandizement, is murder in uniform. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. 
We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. What was the name of the ship in which Darwin explored the Galapagos? Yesterday's question. Which monarch, on the day of his execution, wore two shirts to prevent him from shivering and appearing afraid? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Veneva Bush, who was born on this day in 1890. Knowledge for the sake of understanding, not merely to prevail, that is the essence of our being. None can define its limits or set its ultimate boundaries. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 